Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an ASEC certified sex therapist. You can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. Now today I am interviewing Emily Kothi. I just asked and she told me how to do it because I'm really terrible with names apparently. Like I have the worst last name too, Skirtu. Mm -hmm. So like, thank you for joining me, Emily. This isn't all about me, me. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) So quick um, bio of Emily. Emily yes. is a queer bisexual feminist, a holistic mental health therapist mm-hmm. specializing in treating trauma, mm-hmm. a sex educator, a lady arm wrestle. I would like to, I want to learn all about this lady arm oh, yeah. wrestling oh, thing, yeah. a writer, and she is passionate about making space for truth telling. Yes. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Uh, you can cuss, but I try to keep it PG-13. Okay, perfect. I mean, Good but I'll say know. damn and fuck every now and then. Okay, because <laughs> my therapy style is not PG-13. <laughs> Mine isn't either. But I mean, like, you know what's funny? I've, I've recently been talking with other sex therapists about this, and they're saying, you know, like, you need to be able to speak the language of the people. Yeah, you right? do. <laughs> and so yeah. if that's what they're saying, then you need to be able to say it too. Yep, I agree. Well, so what truths do you want to tell today? <laughs> that <laughs> that's a really big, broad question, question yeah. right? So I think that what I would really like to talk about today is, um, you know, my entrance into the world of sex education and advocacy, and then my entrance into the world of mental health therapy, and how that has kind of aligned and moved in, moved into Ooh. this space of um, doing what I do now, which so is work with a lot of trauma. The first one, yeah. <laughs> what what got you into the field? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a huge question. I know. There's always a lot of paths, aren't there? There are so many paths, and then they <laughs> converge and diverge. So I would say that in 2014, I met David Wraith, mm-hmm. maybe a little prior to that. Um, but we got to talking and getting to know each other, and he asked me to join Sex Positive St. Louis on their leadership team. Oh, that's right. You're on the picture. I am in the picture. <laughs> Go yeah. to Sex Positive St. Louis. She's in the picture. All right, continue. SexSTL.com. <laughs> Thank and, you. Good plug. <laughs> uh-huh. And so we, um, you know, he asked me to join in, so I did, and I started doing um, educational series, um, series for women, series around the intersection of mental health and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's was it been really phenomenal. It's, I can't believe it's been four years since I joined in. And so, um, yeah, I just knew him. Oh, I think the way that I met David was back when Shameless Grounds, mm-hmm. um, our local sex-positive coffee shop, was located in the Coke and Art Factory building. And oh. I'm pretty sure I just got plugged into the community there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of you who've never been to Shameless Grounds Coffee House, I guess we're going to do a lot of shameless plugs. Here. Oh my gosh, shameless plugs. <laughs> uh, yes. no, it's a really cool coffee shop and they have a bunch of sexual health Books, books a huge that you can like a library, library. that you can yeah. get for free. You do have to get a library card, yes, right? You do, but it's free. <laughs> but it is free. And then there's coffee and booze and delicious food. And you can meet up and see people and yeah. stuff. They do events too. They have a huge calendar. All yeah. right. So anyhow, but anyhow, you know, so yeah. it started with Sex Positive St. Louis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was just um, so you know from there I started doing like both social and educational events around the intersections of sexuality and its many forms. So that meant, you know, sexual identity, kink, Mm -hmm. um, relationship style, polyamory, monogamy, all of the spectrum Mm -hmm. there. However you define, because you're all unique snowflakes. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Continue. mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then um, I had been 
looking at the idea of going to grad school and going to a program in mental health counseling, mm-hmm. I applied to one. I went to school at UMSL. Um, okay. I got my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling starting mm-hmm. January 2015. I just graduated this Congratulations. year. Congratulations! I know, it's really exciting. It's so exciting. <laughs> grad school is hard. Well, it takes a lot of work. I'm glad it is yeah. in my past. But yeah, I mean, same. are you going to like never go back again? <laughs> I know that was like a really loaded question. Probably never go back to that kind of schooling again. All right. I would consider getting my MFA in creative writing, but that's another story. (laughs) And that's the truth-telling side (laughs) of your tale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, because you're a writer too. What kinds of things do you write? I write poetry. I write um, creative nonfiction, Mm -hmm. a lot of memoir-style stuff, um, as well as a little bit I often blend my styles. I do a lot of what I call hybrid writing. Okay. And often so it blends like personal storytelling with prose, lyric, poetry with um, research and psychological stuff and, you know, research and all sorts of things. Yeah. So what we would call you is eclectic. Yes. Yes. <laughs> cool. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Do you use that in your therapy style? A little bit. I'm actually looking into different ways to implement it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got some friends who do that, like where they incorporate some of their writing into some form of healing or like get their clients to use that as a form. Like, cause like when you think of trauma and I know there's some trauma that you're, oh, you do yeah. trauma work. Oh, and, yeah. oh as most of us therapists mm-hmm. have to do, mm-hmm. but like sometimes having a creative expression for that is a oh. helpful means to work through some of that. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And so often I think that any avenue that is creative, whether it be music, songwriting, singing, dancing, um, you know, uh, writing, coloring, drawing, all of any media, mm-hmm. it's it's a different way of expression that like often our language can't quite touch into. Oh yeah. I definitely yeah. feel that about music, you know, yeah. like whenever I'm having a rough time, I like angry dance. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. Or stress dance. Yes, that's wonderful. It's like the world is ruining me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I hear you. I hear totally, you. Totally cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so now that you've graduated, what's the plan? So yeah, so I um, I went a little bit off the beaten track of what often people a do. A little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I have done work in community organizations. I've done work in, um, I was with a um, women-centered substance abuse rehabilitation program. Mm-hmm. I was. I've worked in two different suicide intervention and crisis line programs. Um, what I realized through my work in the nonprofit world was that I'm not really best suited for it. The structures, the requirements, the billing, the stress. There's a just, lot of stress. There's a lot of stress, and like <laughs> I have so I've, I support so many people who are in that field, and yeah. I have so many friends who are in that field, and like I lift it up because it mm-hmm. is it is because it is hard work. It's hard work, and we need it. We need I it. I kind of call world. it the working in the trenches. To it, be fair, it really is yes. the trenches of the mental yes, health field. Yes. It is hard. <laughs> so what I wanted to do was I wanted to have a little more freedom, and so mm-hmm. I did a bunch and bunch and bunch of research, and I ended up finding a woman to be my supervisor. While I work towards licensure, so I'm a provisionally licensed professional counselor right now. Okay. And her name is Rebecca Erke. She's out in Kirkwood. She's phenomenal. She's a trauma therapist, Mm. somatic experiencing practitioner. And 
Hold on. Nobody knows what that is. Tell okay. me about somatic experience. I mean, I yeah, do. Yeah, but like, sure. For the listeners, what's what? a somatic experiencing yeah. practitioner? Somatic experiencing, the simplest way I would describe it is that it is a body-based therapy mm-hmm. where the therapist helps the client develop a stronger awareness around what is happening internally, literally inside our body sensations, mm-hmm. as a pathway to healing trauma. Because for all of your awareness, a lot of trauma is stored in the body. And mm-hmm. like people, when when those areas are tapped into, they can freeze and almost go back into the same mm-hmm. trigger-like states yes. that they uh, were in during whatever traumatic experience they, yeah. they had previously. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, you're mm-hmm. kind of basically teaching them to unfreeze um, yes. somewhat. Yes. Or maybe hopefully all the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even like how to manage when... Uh, triggering situation does come up in life because uh-huh. let's be real the world is hard mm-hmm. and we can't avoid triggers we can't avoid difficulty so how do we best manage it that's kind of what it does mm-hmm. and then actually so I do a lot of defining whenever I'm talking to other therapists I love it triggers are mm-hmm. basically now I've come up with a really crass way of putting this but like basically it's where you go into a sort of neverland where you're not fully present you're it's like a cloud or yeah. like a, a separation from yourself some people describe it as like being above yourself mm-hmm. um, but um, the most common trigger responses are the fight flight freeze or acquiesce responses mm-hmm. and so as a result when you are in that state you either you either feel like you're out of your body or you don't feel in control of what your body is doing at that time. I love it. That, can I borrow that from my website? You That's bet. Perfect. You that can do great. that. I know. I spend my whole day just like defining things. Yeah, yeah. That was really perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So anyhow, um, mm-hmm. how is the work, like now that you're kind of out there doing it again, what what has been some of your favorite parts of the work actually? Oh, that's an awesome question. Um, thank you. So I would say, so 85% of my clients are either... LGBTQIA identified mm-hmm. um, in some way. So to define lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, and beyond, right? And we, we, plus. Plus. There's many more <laughs> identities. So 85% of my client base mm. is are the people of my wider, broader community. Obviously, I don't serve my friends. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> They're so mad at you right now. <laughs> so, Like, Emily, yeah. we thought you were going to do this, and yeah. you totally ruined our oh life. Oh, gosh. Give me therapy. <laughs> so it's really, um, it's incredible. I, I, I'm under the supervision of a private practice therapist. So I have an office, and she oversees all of my caseload, mm-hmm. and... I'm doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. I like I'm I'm at 65% full, I think, in mm-hmm. six months. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And so yeah. you love that you're working with your client population. I love my client population. And the reality of the work is that marginalized people experience trauma mm-hmm. at a higher level often than say non-marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And so really so much of my perspective and work is around looking at the ways in which identities or experiences really impact mm-hmm. and complicate the experience of tra- trauma. And when I say trauma, I use a very, very broad, mm-hmm. broad definition. 
So we could be talking about difficulties in childhood that you might not call trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, it could just be that you had a rough childhood or chaotic childhood. Or, you know, it could be that you worked for a very tyrannical boss for three years. Or it could be all kinds of things ranging from that to, like, the capital T trauma of, like, car accident, war, sexual assault. I love that you said capital. There's capital T and little t. I just learned that because my sister does um, special school work. And so, yeah, there's big T and little Little t. t. But they both count. They both count. And developmental trauma is Mm -hmm. a whole new world right now. I know. Autism is essentially like your senses attacking themselves. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's a lot of trauma. So, you know, there's just a lot. There's a mm-hmm. lot. And so that's really what I, that's my in, you know. What? So why do you think, since you mentioned marginalized communities, why do you yeah. think that they tend to deal with a little more trauma than, I guess, your rest of your population? Absolutely. So what I would say to that is that the systems of the world, as they are created, mm-hmm. favor some folks, don't favor other folks. We, mm-hmm. I would name this as systems of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, um, and all of the sort of ways in which those impact people and the way they are able to move through the world. So what Mm -hmm. that means is that some people don't have nearly as much access to resources as other people. That's basically your shortened version of Mm -hmm. what is oppression, lack of access to resources. Mm -hmm. So when someone has lack of access to resources, whether those resources be money Good supportive schooling, loving parents, healthcare, healthcare, um, all kinds of stuff, and so they already are missing out on some of those needs that we have as children, which are food, shelter, clothing, and love. Yeah, love is one we always leave out of the equation. I think that's kind of important, isn't it? It it is important. Supportive parenting is another Mm -hmm. way to say it, regardless of who the parent figure is. You know what it reminds me of? uh, You probably learned this in your grad school, but like for those of you who haven't, there's this thing called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's this triangle, right? And it basically is these steps of like what you need to live and survive and function. And at the base level, they put food, shelter, clothing, sex is there too, which Mm -hmm. I think is interesting because I think you can survive without sex, just not happily. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just saying, you can, you can live. Mm -hmm. Um, But like that's at the base. So like if you can't get your base level needs met, it's harder to go up the triangle. And at the top of this triangle is like self-actualization. And to me, that's like such a first world thing to want. (laughs) It's like, I just need food and have a shelter. (laughs) So like, yeah, yeah, everything you're saying makes sense. So basically at different levels of the hierarchy, you might have limited access to what you need to survive and essentially be happy. And then not only that, but the the culture we live in actually doubles down on that experience. So what happens is people who are black or brown, people who are not heterosexual, people who are not cisgender, which cisgender just means that you identify as the gender that you were assigned at birth, Um, people who are not well-to-do or at least like middle class like mm-hmm. so so all of these folks all of these marginalized communities are facing systemic oppression not only like in lack of resources but also when people are racist against them or when people are homophobic towards them or when mm-hmm. people murder them based on their identity you yeah. know so it ranges all the way from microaggressions mm-hmm. to death and when you are that's facing, a big yeah, spectrum. And when you're facing <laughs> that in your day to day life, like that's going to have an impact, and that's traumatic. 
Now that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I was just uh, like, as you were speaking, I was trying to like imagine like how many times do I actually face death on a regular? But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not a certainly not a regular thing. Every yeah. now and then the thought crosses my mind. Well, what yeah. if you know? Maybe when I go to sure. an alley. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But like there are people who on a regular basis are. are safe aren't safe and depending on what country they were born in even worse yep like yeah well, that makes yeah. good sense and then goodness forbid if you've got an intersection of multiple if you're this 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 and this well mm-hmm. you know the world is well tough. you might as well walk out the door yeah, yeah my, no. come to therapy come to therapy we'll work <laughs> that's what it. you're yeah. there for yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. okay well so i'm curious what is your approach to working with sexual and gender identity in your work <laughs> yeah so i'm very much um i'm very um affirmative as a therapist like mm-hmm. what you are is what you are like okay. if you're trans you're trans trans women are women trans men are men non-binary people are people like we like we hold i hold that that is who you are um and that all of the complexities of what that means for you or like if you're gay or straight or bis or bisexual or I don't know why I said straight. Um, I mean, well, those I straight just, people. No, people I'm just want to do. You're not, you know. Yeah, <laughs> um, but all of the also spectrum of of sexuality within that, like, it's all welcome. All the parts, the parts that feel like I don't really want to tell my friends that I'm struggling with this because I want, you know, I don't want them to see me as not valid. That's welcome in the therapy room, okay. you know, because I think that the reality is a lot of us who are identifying as anything other than heterosexual, we internalize that shame or that pain, you know, and in part of my own story, like when I came out 10 years ago, uh, it was really hard. I had to work through a lot of internalized mm-hmm. cis sexism and or not cis sexism, but like heterosexism around like, or we might call that internalized homophobia. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to really work on that myself in my own therapy. So How, is it okay to ask about that? How in Absolutely. the world did you work on that? Because I think Ooh, that's a very hard yeah. thing to do. Oh, it is hard. Um, and I, I always w- love people's personal stories. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for asking. So I would say, you know, it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. I always say to my clients, healing is not linear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up and down. And so there are times in my life when I feel much more solid in my identity and others when I feel a little bit more, maybe some like old trauma around my religious upbringing gets mm-hmm. triggered. And I really have to work through that in the moment. And I would say that the best thing that I ever did for myself was get really involved in my community. Mm. And and to be diverse in that involvement. So when I say my community, what I mean is the queer and trans community of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, and not just at the bars, but like at the advocacy level, at the um, marches level, at the vigils level. To like really be present in, in these spaces where people are who I can maybe not fully identify with, right? Because we all have very different stories, but mm-hmm. in whom I can see some sense of family. But also it sounds like giving you more and more of the safety to be your honest, most authentic self. 100%. The more you open that. I wonder, do you kind of see that a lot like in the people's transition process, like a start of being kind of secretive and, and struggling to really be out, but then a slow process of... I don't know, opening up. I just wonder Mm, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, so I see a variety of presentations because the reality is it is not safe for a lot of people to fully come out either as transgender or Mm -hmm. as non-straight, whatever that means. Like, I hate using that phrase, but LGBTQIA (sighs) is just a mouthful. I'm looking for something else. Sexual minority. Um, Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to come up with that by the end of the episode. We'll be thinking of ones. I'll drop a few. Yeah, so... (laughs) 
Yeah, so I really I really see like some people are ready and want to step into a full here I am moment <laughs> and other people are like I might lose my job, I might lose my family, I mm-hmm. might lose my kids because Missouri doesn't have protections. I know. So well, and with the current real. administration, it's kind of oh got a little gosh. more dangerous for different populations, yeah. especially transgender. I was yeah. just thinking about that. Yeah. Like I have a lot of transgender friends and they'll post, "I can't believe this happened today. We're in so much like, you know, yeah. they're in chaos." <laughs> it's uh, it's a hard time right now yeah. for a lot of those reasons. So I see a variety of levels of safety. And I just want to suggest mm-hmm. that it is a position of privilege to tell someone, just be yourself, just come out, own it. They might die. Yeah, They might die. The population that faces the most violence in our country are trans women of color. Mm-hmm. They are murdered at a rate that is insanely astronomical. Like it's, What? And it's because of all the transphobia, racism, and the the, the, the intersection community. right there mm-hmm. that exists in our country. So it's like, we got to take into account, my belief is, like, if you're working with these populations, you've got to take that into account. The real life impacts that these, that these choices and decisions on how to present in the world, not to be who you are, because everyone is always who they are, even if you aren't transitioned fully in the world that you know you're still you're still valid but like that those decisions have real life impacts you know i i was just thinking you in your bio you said that you identify as queer bisexual mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. why the term queer and what does it mean for you yeah so when i first was coming out i myself had like some internalized biphobia okay and some like uh feelings around like people would say stuff to me like well, because I was dating men and women and some mm-hmm. trans people too, like w- who are also men and women, but so all genders. I was dating all genders. And I think I was, we would call that pansexual too, right? Well, there's some pushback around that, okay. which I'm happy right. to yeah, We'll go into that later. Tell me it. the yeah. queer stuff first. We can yeah. only do so much at once. <laughs> I know, right? I know. So for me, it really, really came down to a decision about how can I identify myself in a way that is a little bit protective okay. and also is authentic. So... Um, and I just want to name that, like, in that choice, there was some biphobia okay. in my own self. And so that was what I did then. Now, 10 years later, I'm really in this space around, like, I am bisexual. And my definition of the word bisexual is attracted to the same and other genders. So okay. those that's the bi. The two is the same, which I'm a cisgendered woman, cisgender woman, and other. Anything mm-hmm. else? Anything else. Okay. Now, now there is, we could go into like, what do people say, bi versus pan? And I think it really comes down to preference. Mm-hmm. What feels most authentic to you? What maybe feels safest what too feels in some safest. situations. But mm-hmm. isn't pan kind of like, um, I just love who I love and don't yes. tell me what to do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and all of it's a little bit of that. All of it's a little bit <laughs> We're going bit against the patriarchy. Yeah. I sometimes get annoyed with that term too, patriarchy, because mm. I feel like it gets used a lot. And mm-hmm. I don't think people really know what it means. Mm. <laughs> but that's just my own beef. It has yeah. nothing to do with you. <laughs> how would you define it? <laughs> well, so like patriarchy, how I, I hear it kind of used mm-hmm. is like, this is like the male white dominant um, structure in which our society is created. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who are kind of at the top. But even within that, like, structure, I don't, 
you know, like I know quite a few white male males that really aren't like in that. Like, yes, they get there are benefits that they get from mm-hmm. being white male. Don't get me wrong, but there are if they were born poor, if they were born like yeah. if any of the other things, it doesn't yeah. necessarily give them that same thing. So I feel like it can yeah. marginalize. I guess I feel like anybody can be a little bit marginalized, but like on the overall scale, it's like this yeah. this, this way of looking at people that is like this is you, and I don't know. That's how I hear it yeah. used. I don't know if that that's not as clarified as well as yeah. some of my other definitions. <laughs> how would you define it? I would. I think that that's. I think that a lot of what you said is where I would land, and I also would say that like it's not all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah, there's what never is, an all or nothing. And that one can have white privilege, as I do, and mm-hmm. one can also experience whiteness in a context that does not feel like privilege, such as I grew up in rural Missouri, very poor. Yeah. You know, and so when I I wasn't experiencing the, the white privilege in that way in my awareness, but, sure. I, but I still had it. Yeah, that you still, mean I you still it. benefit I, I from still it. I still benefit from it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I say that all the time. People have so many identities that mm-hmm. we cannot see by looking at them. Yeah. Who knows what you hold in your body and what you carry? You well, know? I'll and, tell you one thing I love about you, sex, the Sex Positive St. Louis group. I yeah. always bring them back on the show because you guys, uh, you really promote like taking ownership for all of those things. It's yeah. not it's not necessarily that you're trying to use your privilege against others, but even just having an awareness of the way that you are privileged in some way, shape or form sure. allows you to take ownership and to meet people kind of at a more equal level. Yeah, and I would, I would say <laughs> I would say it a little bit differently. Rather than at an equal level, I think I would say that we are able to approach the work of this world mm-hmm. in a more equitable way. All right, I think you just said the same thing, but with equal, better words. Equal and equitable are a little <laughs> okay. different. Google it. But there's two therapists, and of course, we're gonna have a lot of conversations <laughs> about words. <laughs> Right? Words, definitions. <laughs> like, definitions language. mean so much. We get so, like, actually, yeah. therapists get so hung up on words that we, like, make up new words and definitions. It's a whole little, like, therapy circle jerk. It's my favorite <laughs> thing. I love making up new words. Do it oh all the time. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So let's move along. Well, so what do you want people who are struggling with sexual or gender identity or sexual trauma? This is her question, and I'm totally asking it verbatim like this. <laughs> or relationship conflict around sex to know. <laughs> so yeah, I would say this. I would say that these struggles are way more common than anyone ever would imagine. Mm-hmm. That there is space and room for all the all the pieces, all the threads of your story mm-hmm. that no matter how shameful, no matter how painful, no matter how much guilt or wrongness you might feel in the way that you're moving through the world for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that there is hope. That there is a, a, a way in which these things can be unraveled and made sense of. And it's hard work. Therapy's hard, but it's worth it. Oh, it is so hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. I'm in therapy right now. My therapist is amazing. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I, it's the only thing I do on those days. Well, yeah, you kind of need some time to deep. Actually, that's good skills for people to know. If you go to therapy, it's actually a good idea, like, right after therapy to take a break. Go yeah. do some self-care, take a bath, drink a glass. Maybe, well, I, 
iffy on drinking a glass of wine when you're that emotionally raw, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pros Take and cons. Take a nap, journal, whatever you need. I've had yeah. clients actually ask me, like, can we drink while we're in here? And I'm like, well, I want you to take it in and remember it, but I understand the sentiment. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, well, that's really cool. Yeah. So let's see. Oh, no, I like this question, actually. Yeah. So what do you do to take care of yourself? Because our work, yeah. so you guys know, if you didn't know, therapeutic yeah. work, super hard on us, too. Yes, we love what we do. Yeah. But you people are hard to deal with. <laughs> you know what? The work is tough. So I am a, it's so funny. So back in undergrad, okay, many years before I knew that I was going to get on the path to become a mental health therapist, mm-hmm. my, one of my degrees, I studied creative writing and I studied international human rights. Oh, wow. And my thesis, my senior thesis for international human rights was about burnout and vicarious trauma in international um, care workers. Yeah. And you know what? All of like, it's just such a, like a full circle moment. The research and the stuff that I learned then mm-hmm. 10 years ago to now. So what I would say is the ways that I, that I protect myself against vicarious trauma or burnout, the ways <clears throat> I take care, I have certain times where my, I do not answer my phone. Like I'll answer if my wife calls or I'll answer if my sibling calls. But mm-hmm. like if it's a client that texts me, if it's unless it's an emergency and they know to tell me it's mm-hmm. this is an emergency, like I don't answer. Um, I journal. I um, have a robust solo sex life. Um, I have another word for masturbation or self love. I've <laughs> been calling it lately. Yeah, <laughs> love yourself. Love yourself. Um, I love to take baths. That's a mm-hmm. huge thing for me. Um, I I dance. I sing. Mm-hmm. I I have a every other week check in with. Two humans who are some of the most important people in my life who are also therapists, but oh, they're but good. they're friends first. Mm-hmm. Um I seek consultation regularly. Mm-hmm. Um I take vacations. Okay. You know, where I totally unplug, you know, I let I let go. And I'm not perfect at it. And so mm-hmm. some days, you know, are better than others. And I just accept that that's okay. That's part of the work. Yeah, but you're you're still learning where your boundaries are yeah. too, and even so, I've been doing this work for a long time too. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually kind of doing a little check in of like how long have I been doing this stuff? Yeah. I've actually been a couples therapist for ten years, going nice. on eleven, all and right. I've been in business almost seven years now. I know, crazy, right? I know, like, woo woo, look at all yeah, I do. Yeah, time High goes fast. time goes fast. I know. I was like, what the? Oh, but it's fine. And no, I'm excited about it. But I was looking back, so I have a decade of work now that I can yeah. kind of look back at, and even though, so like, would. What I would break all that down to is good boundaries, mm-hmm. um, time away, mm-hmm. like actually taking breaks, yes. and then social relationships that are a two-way connection. Yes. Oh my gosh. Right? Because Time's as a therapists, so but this is just, this is for those of you who aren't therapists, but who are like nurses, doctors, firemen, policemen, anybody who's in one-way work. Environment of care workers, veterinarians, oh, look at you. social workers, <laughs> case managers, people who are crisis line workers. Pretty much anyone who's in a job where all you do is give and don't get anything back. Yeah. That's a one-way relationship. Mm-hmm. And essentially when you're in a, a job like that, you're a caretaker and you have to do something to give back to yourself because guess what? Nobody gives to you but you. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't have a really yeah. cool like spouse or partner or whatever, yeah. but like even they have their own self-care they have to do. Yes. 
But caretakers are at especially high risk for burnout. Mm-hmm. We call it compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. But basically this, like, I, I actually have a pretty decent definition for this. It's like, I'm dead inside to the point that I don't even care about your problems anymore and I could actually cause a little harm. <laughs> yeah, and so actually, so I'm going to plug a little book that I'm you reading. Plug it. No, no reasons, but except that this is literally changing my life and I'm okay. reading it with my two, we call I don't remember what we call our little every other week supervision powwow. (laughs) We call it something. But so there's this book we started reading together called Trauma Stewardship Mm -hmm. by Laura Van Der Noot Lipsky. Okay. Okay. It is life changing. I feel I feel like every care worker needs to read this book. Even if it's not your job with that you get paid for, if you're taking care of uh, an elderly parent or autistic autistic uh, children. Yeah. Read Trauma Stewardship. It is going to shake you to your core, but in a good Mm -hmm. way. In a good way. It's going to shake you and hug you at the same time. Well, so what I was kind of saying about my personal experience looking back is that um, even with a good set of these systems, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I like, I do a lot of the angry walking. It's very good for me. I'm like, oh my God, your problems are driving me nuts. That's angry walking. Yeah. So, like, I do a lot of things every day, but there are still times when you're going through a rough, like, year where you are just taking on a lot of people's problems and it's hard to separate. So, even with it, even with all of that good self care, sometimes you got to drop your mic. Mm-hmm. And go away mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for a time, then come back, yeah. and then you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And you don't, you know, life is going to do what it does. You don't know when someone who you love is going to die. Mm-hmm. You don't know when you're going to lose something in your life, whether it be a job or an opportunity mm-hmm. or a relationship. Like, and that's real. And we, oh, yeah. we gotta, we gotta take care of ourselves first. Well, I think that's what makes it hard for a caretaker actually yeah. is when it's not just them doing the caretaking of other people, but it's yeah. when something in their own life is added to that mm-hmm. or like 50 things. Cause of course life you happens, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Always in threes, always three big threes. Things. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Like your whole house fell down and then somebody died and yeah. Yeah. yeah and then you got hit with a, you know, rear ended. I know it's, it's always how, something. It how it yeah. So uh, how have your personal life experiences? Experiences impacted your approach to work? Yes, what a great question. So, what I like to say it about is this a great is question. I know I wrote it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm messing just, with her. I love your questions. Therapists are the greatest at like asking questions. I'm like, I don't even have to do the work. Actually, you just tell me what to do. <laughs> writing, writing the questions for this uh, interview was so fun. Oh, good. Because um, yeah, I'm a huge nerd. Um, so, I, my background, my history is filled with so much trauma. Like, holy shit! Like, what happened to this girl, right? Girl, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna write the memoir someday. I, I'm actually, I bet you mm, will. Got some clarity on it this past week. Well, I mean, you're already writing yeah. a little poetry and stuff. I'm sure yeah. some of that has to do with your personal experience. Oh yeah. It does. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It does. <laughs> All right. So, so, so I really, I really come from a wildly chaotic background, okay. and um. And yet here I am, mm-hmm. right? And so starting at age 12, I had the drive to escape what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And then starting at age 18, I had the drive to ignore everything I had experienced for the last yeah. 18 years. And then Which starting, I'd say some of that is coping. <laughs> totally, absolutely. It was mm-hmm. adaptive for the time. It absolutely. made sense for the time. And then starting around age 22, I was like, I got to figure some of this out. (laughs) I got to figure out how I got to where I am. I got to figure out how the hell did I survive? I should be dead. 
for sure I should be dead. Well, I'm glad you're not. Yeah, I am too. Thank you for being yeah. alive today. You're welcome. <laughs> And so I really had to start figuring that out. And so I started going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, in my experience, my own therapeutic work has been the best teacher mm-hmm. to be a therapist in the world. Because you've learned through your own experience. Absolutely. So then you can also tell people what it's like to work through some of the hardest things yes. known to whatever it is that you went yes. through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like every kind of abuse you can imagine. Well, and I think yeah. that is one value or advantage that you have if you've had your own experience. Because, yeah. you know, like I think you can learn the skills. And I'm, don't get oh, me wrong. Totally. I think the skills are great out there. But there's a difference between kind yeah. of learning them from the book and like having to work through yeah. that trauma. Yep. I would agree. One hundred percent. So you kind of use some of your own personal life experiences in the work that you do. Um, yes and no. In that, I am not shy about who I am. Like okay. I have a little bit of biographical information on my website. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I'm doing speaking engagements with Sex Positive or other organizations, like I don't hide my story, mm-hmm. but I do not center my story with my work because mm-hmm. it's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those of you therapists who like to listen, so like, yeah, self-disclosure, we have to limit. Um, That doesn't mean we can't do it to some degree, but usually it's to teach a lesson or to add to the learning in some way. Mm -hmm. It's never to like turn a therapy session around and make it about us and you giving us therapy. That's why we're very careful about telling you what's going on in our lives because it really can be like about me. (laughs) And and it's like what I find so so important about self-disclosure is that for client A, you saying, me, Emily saying, I have been where you've been mm-hmm. and, and I know we can get through this. For client A, that might be like, oh, I needed to hear it. that. Thank you. This gave me some hope. For client B, they might be like, I don't I don't care what you've been through. Be like, this is not about you. This <laughs> is like, not you don't know what my you. experience is. Exactly. So Absolutely. it's so person to person dependent. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that. No, I totally yeah. agree because I've definitely seen that. And you never know what your personal story is going to do. Actually, I'm sure people have experienced that talking to their friends. You're like, I know exactly what you're going through. And you get that like, Psh, how and dare like, you? And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, you don't know me. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> we are not just a single incident. We are the culmination of billions of moments you know mm-hmm. I like, call that the angry teenager and everybody yeah. we all have a little bit of willfulness and <sighs> it's you don't get to tell me what to do stop it yeah <laughs> totally totally I agree totally all right well so we're kind of towards the end of the episode okay. um, now so I'm curious if there are any final things you would want to plug about yourself or your work Ooh. or life in general life to make it super general. broad okay um <laughs> Well, I would love to share that last week I went to an EMDR training, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a therapy that was developed about 30 years ago to really target and work through big capital T trauma. But the the training that I went to has actually updated it with the latest attachment research and neuroscience Mm -hmm. for all you other therapists. You're going to geek out about this. And so it's really, really um, integrative, and it is called belief-focused EMDR. Interesting. And when I say that it lit me on fire, like, hmm. I'm talking, like, I'm on fire. I'm so passionate. I'm so excited about this as a modality to do my work around trauma and even around the stuff that people wouldn't call trauma, you know, okay. just around painful situations in their lives or, heck, even something as, like, whatever is like, oh, my mother-in-law super annoys me or oh, <laughs> my boss is so overbearing or oh, my, my it's basically sibling, difficult people, difficult people. <laughs> yeah. Just things that are frustrating all the way to the big T stuff to the, you know, pre-birth trauma. 
That's mm-hmm. a thing. That's a thing. Rebirth so trauma. I am, I'm so, I'm so ignited. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to have to learn all about oh, that. Oh, I have so I gotta much say, to say I about actually it. love giving people therapy to deal with difficult people. I have so many yeah. fun games and strategies for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just super stoked about that. Um, I would also say that um, you can find me at emilycothycounseling.com. Why don't you spell that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's E-M-I-L-Y-K-O-T-H-E-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G at, at dot com. Uh, dot com. Emily Kothy Counseling dot com. I was just thinking yeah. for that last name, but we'll like, put well, it on the blog. Yeah, so it's you. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find me there. And then you can also keep track of what we are doing over at Sex Positive St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We have social events, we have private events, educational events, and more. Sexstl.com. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being on the show today. And of course, for those of you who know me, you've been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And if you want to visit me as a therapist, you can go to therapistinstlouis.com. I realize I put a lot of .coms in my outro. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) You can also check out any of my books. I have Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity or Premarital Counseling, and both are at Amazon. Um, And then feel free to email your questions at aboutsex.com podcast at gmail.com and we'll probably answer them on the air. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. With me has been Emily Kothi. Thank you so much. Thank you again for coming on. We loved having you on. Stay kinky, St. Louis.